I got up one morning to go for a run and I always kind of go for a run about 4.30, quarter to five in the morning. And I grabbed my running clothes, went into the bathroom to put them on and I looked in the mirror and I just didn't recognise who I was anymore. If you're a person who's heard the word no from a boss, an ex, a team that cut you, a job market that didn't want you, an accident or diagnosis that left you debilitated and depressed, or felt paralyzed by any setback that you just weren't willing to accept, this is the show for you. 10,000 No's is a roadmap built by guests who have blazed trails, silenced critics, and overcome the odds by facing down their fears and transforming their failures into fuel. I don't care if you're young or old, healthy or sick, there is always an opportunity for growth. This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. Welcome back to 10,000 No's. I am so fired up to bring you today's guest, Sue Hollis. She has every reason to be arrogant and obnoxious. She co-founded a company that's worth over $250 million dollars. When she came to my house, she was coming from a motorcycle racetrack where she trains at speeds close to 200 miles per hour. She splits time between Sydney, Australia, where she's annually honored as one of her country's top 10 female entrepreneurs, and Vancouver, British Columbia. She has raised two successful boys. Oh, and did I mention she's 60? You'll hear me almost fall off my chair when she tells me that, but here's what I love. She could not have been cooler, kinder, more compassionate, and passionate. Why? Because she lets her values define her, not her accomplishments, which is what allowed her to leave her high-powered position atop Qantas Air to co-found Travel Edge and then step down from CEO of Travel Edge to strike out on her own as an adventurepreneur. You'll hear about that later. But before we get to that conversation, I want to mention a few things. T-shirts and hats, cool ones, people, are coming soon. They'll be available at 10,000nose.com, and I made sure to make them great so that if you feel like you've benefited from this show in some way, shape, or form and you want to support it, you can do so and also benefit yourself because the shirts are soft and well-fitted and the hats are badass. I made sure of it. Down the line, I'll have more stuff for sale, journals, maybe coffee mugs. It's a work in progress and definitely more learning tools because so many of you have been reaching out with specific requests for help with things I cover on this show. To that end, thanks for all the feedback and great reviews. The other day I had a meeting with some investors and so I was flipping through the reviews and just got a little welled up with all the positive vibes coming my way. Thank you. Lastly, if you dig it, share it. We need as many people as possible listening to this show and talking about the principle of failure is opportunity because our society needs this right now. Not because it's mine, because our society is too focused on surface and perfection and that needs to be obliterated. Our common bond is our struggles and then overcoming them. But you've got to bring them out first. Too many people trying to bypass the failure section of their lives. Just look at the college admission scandal. Okay, that's my rant. Here's the amazingly awesome Sue Hollis. 
first of all, thanks for being here. Pleasure. Um, and uh, a, a shout out to uh, Alex in Australia, who <laughs> Hi, set Alex. me up with you, who I've never met, who I met through Instagram, who who uh, reached out to me and um, has given me a lot of feedback and then set me up with you, which is so, yeah, says amazing. so much about you, that you, the way you guys met and then, you know, you don't know me from Adam. You've listened to the show now, but you, you're coming and sitting down and just, you know, I'll, I'll have a whole intro where we'll kind of give your accolades. But um, I want to start with what you're doing, what you're doing now, because the word that I saw was adventurepreneur. Adventurepreneur. A coach and adventurepreneur based between Whistler, Canada mm-hmm. and Sydney, Australia. Um I want to kind of get it like you to give us a little bit of what your life is like now. And then I want to go back to travel edge okay. and go back further okay. and kind of get to like how you, you know, how you've gotten here. So yeah. what is Well, I, I love that word adventurepreneur um, because for me, it's about creating a life out of a, a lifestyle that you love. So for me, one of my core values is adventure. So, you know, so I've been able to create a life and it's taken a long time, um, you know, and many years to be able to create a life built on the lifestyle that I love. So it's it's being able to, to live a life of adventure, being able to live my values, being able to have a life of flexibility and to really create a life that, you know, kind of adds value to everything that I do. So, you know, so I kind of coined the word entrepreneur and it, and it literally is someone that's, that's created a lifestyle out of the values that they love. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been really fortunate to be able to do that. But, you know, as as we talk about, I mean, I'm really old and it's taken me a long time to get to that place. But, uh, but I've finally in, you know, kind of in my life now found a place where, you know, I feel really comfortable and, and that where I'm able to live my values, where I'm able to live the life that, that I really wanted to design. Yeah. And it, it sounds like prior to this, I think just prior to this, you were CEO of of the company, which you, of Travel Edge, yeah. which you started, what, 17 years ago? Or, yeah, or nearly you, 20 years ago 20 now. 20 years yeah, ago now. Yeah. So, so it sounds like you were living a pretty cool life already and then you made the leap into kind of going on your own. Now, you still have that company is still yours, but it's run by somebody else. Yeah, I do. I mean, I kind of, you know, going all the way back. I mean, I my career kind of started, you know, was in, in corporate. So I was a typical kind of corporate warrior. Um, I worked for Global Airlines, British Airways and Qantas in Sydney and in America and in um, in London. And, um, and that was always my trajectory. So I was seriously career driven, really focused on the next goal, the next promotion, you know, kind of rising through the ranks, wanting to be the youngest, you know, kind of senior management. I mean, it's just, it was, it was just a driver in my life. Um, and as I kind of spent a lot of time in con- in, in corporate world and, and, you know, I ended up my, my last role was, was working for, you know, as, as senior, you know, senior global director, um, for, for Qantas, um, and managing sales for Qantas in Australia. And slowly, slowly, I started to come to the realization that as much as I, I love my job, I started to feel that it wasn't in alignment with my values. Um, and it wasn't my, that wasn't the company that I was working for. It wasn't their fault. I think it was just a stage that I was reaching in my life where 
you know, it, it shocked me one day to realize that my values were becoming more important than the next promotion right. and that I couldn't actually make a difference in that corporate world. I had, a, you know, I had lots of people reporting to me and in that corporate, in that corporate environment, I couldn't make a difference to them. So it was a shock um, and it took me about two years to really work on it, to really kind of come to the point where I realized that I had to kind of step out of that. And um, so eventually I kind of reached the point where it's I had had enough. It was literally breaking point. And um, so I stepped into the wild world of entrepreneurship and um, started How old my- were you at that point? Ooh, 20 years ago. So, wow, 40. I'm 60 now. What? Yeah. Holy. <laughs> oh, you're so kind. Oh, my God. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Oh, my God. Oh, such a, if you could see I Matt's gotta, face right now, it's pure no amazement. We got it on video for the first time, so this is, <laughs> this is great. This is funny because this is the first time I've, I've recorded one of these on, on video and you said, oh, I'm going to be on this bike ride and I don't know if I'm going to show up. You show up, you look great, and now you tell me. I'm like, I thought you were like- Oh, you're very kind, Matt. I literally Matt. thought you were like, you know, I don't know, roughly my age and yeah. I'm not 60. Yeah. Yet. <laughs> you're a long way Holy from 60. Holy cow. Thank you. Holy oh, cow. You're very okay. kind. So, so you were 40. So you did it for, you did the corporate world for I did, yeah. a while. A long time and, and had, you know, two sons. So my, my two sons who are now 23 and 25. Um, so I kind of had them in that environment. And actually, you know, having my older son was probably the the realization for me that I wanted something else in this world because he was little. Um, I was on an aircraft day in, day out. Um, this is for British Airways. At the time, uh, this was for Qantas by Qantas this stage, Qantas. yeah. And um, you know, and I just, I it just, it just wasn't. I wanted more as a mother. I wanted to be, you know, to be spending more time with my son, and I didn't want him growing up with me being on an aircraft constantly. Yeah. Um, you know, traveling for work, and so that was one of the one of the key reasons for kind of becoming an entrepreneur. So, um. I left Qantas and um, didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just knew that I had to leave. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, and again, it wasn't Qantas's fault, but it was where I was that stage in my life where I just felt that I was suffocating, um, you know, as a human and, and not really being able to live the values that were becoming more and more important to me. And, and that was a shock because I'd never really kind of understood the principle of values and, and they had just kind of started to emerge. So... My next door neighbor, who is actually my best friend at work, so we he also worked for Qantas. Coincidentally, we ended up being neighbors. Um, he was in a very similar situation at the time. So again, with a young family. So um, we both left at the same time. And um, his background was very different. He um, He's an investment banker by trade. Um, and so he left to start his own investment banking consultancy. I left to start my own marketing consultancy. Our houses were so close in those days, we could literally knock on each other's kitchen window. And so what was happening, we were both writing our own business plans at the time. We would knock on each other's window, pass business plans across the window and say, "Could you? does this make sense? And um, after a couple of weeks, we were having a, you know, a white wine over, over the fence while our kids who were the same age were playing together. And we both looked at each other and went, let's do something together. That's great. So, um, so that's how Travel Edge was born, yeah. That's such a – I love that. I mean, that's like the um – the saying, the proximity is power. It's like when you're, when you're close to someone and you, you know, you just, it's your neighbor. You're not trying to impress him. He's not trying to impress yeah. you. Uh, you realize you have similar values and then boom, exactly. there you go. Exactly. Um, and when you started, 
was, I mean, because now I don't know if this is accurate or if what I read, where I read it, but it was a, a, like a $250 million business. Yeah. Um, I know you're considered one of the top 10 uh, female entrepreneurs in Australia. Yeah. Congratulations. I mean, it's pretty. <laughs> Thanks. That still surprises it's me. Awesome. I mean, like, how does that feel to have someone tell you that? You know, you're like, I... did you expect that? Did you, did you, um, or, or I'm sure you don't walk around with that every day, but. Is that just a, what's that? You know, it's, it's, I never expected it. Um, I, and it's, it's one of those things where I never think about it till someone mentions it. And when they mention it, it just kind of, you know, it's, it kind of steps me back and my heels goes, you know, to, to kind of think, I still to this day don't know how that happened. You know, we just went about doing our business, head down, working hard, you know, never, it was never our goal. You know, particularly when we started the company, the goal was very much we, having come from a really tough corporate environment, our goal was to create an amazing business that let us live our values, to create an environment that um, where we could deliver great things for people. You know, because one of my one of my core values had become growth and learning, and I really wanted to create an environment where we could enable people to be the best that they could personally and professionally, and um, and then to do something amazing for clients. Oh, and by the way, hopefully this makes money because yeah. we were really doing it for us. Yeah. And I guess that's why it kind of shocks me sometimes when I hear that because I go, holy shit, where did that come from? You know, I never saw that coming and it's it's a little embarrassing and, and they kind of do it every year and it's just like, oh, please just take me out of the running. Um, but, you know, I kind of fill a hole. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, it's always kind of shocked, but it was never, I mean, even making money, we needed to make money obviously because we both had families, but being driven by financial goals was never the kind of the reason behind the business. And I guess that's probably why it was as successful as it was really. Yeah. I mean, but that's something, you know, going back to the conversation in the beginning about a young actor or actress, it's, I say this often, if you don't love it, you're not going to stick with it through the tough times. And yeah, it's the same absolutely. thing I consider, I've always considered actors to be entrepreneurs, their business happens yeah. to be themselves, yeah. but it's the same thing. If your heart's not in it, it the going is going to get tough. And when it does, if you don't really care, you're probably going to bail. Absolutely. And it sounds like you guys were in it for the right reasons. Now, I'm interested in what was it like? What was the nugget of what it was you were selling or the need that you were providing that you saw a gap in the market? What was it? We were really fortunate when we started. Um because we, you know, my, my business partner, Grant and I, so we were both two very, very senior. He was he was managing mergers and acquisitions for Qantas. So we were both kind of grown up people um, without a lot of kind of hands-on capability. And so, but we knew we wanted to create something. We just, and, and we really didn't know what the vehicle would be. We just knew the value, oops, sorry, the That's values right. that we wanted to create and what we wanted to do. So we kind of, we, we he had, his parents-in-law had a very, very tiny apartment and we literally had a table half the size of this one. Yeah. And we sat opposite side of each other and, and we, we would just kind of talk and, and, you know, and think about things that we should do. But we used to write each other. We were so used to having assistance. You know, I would write, well, bring forward on the 27th of September and slide it under his pile. And all of a sudden I was getting his bring forwards. And we suddenly realised, you know what, we have to roll up our sleeves and do it ourselves. Yeah. So we start, We decided we would step into corporate travel to start with. So, so that's literally managing um, travel for big organisations, so blue chip organisations and 
We decided we'd do that because we were both familiar with it and we could do probably the least amount of damage in that arena. And we found a sweet spot when we started the business. And the sweet spot was in those days, um, you had big travel management companies like American Express, Carlson, you know, Carlson Wagon Litz, um, and who were doing great technology for corporate travel, but their service wasn't as personalized. And then you had boutique organizations that were doing beautiful personalized service, but hadn't invested in technology. So we found, you know, we decided we would go right in the middle of that. So we would do amazing technology and brilliant personalized service. And we're able to kind of, you know, find a market niche there. And it just went from there, you know, so we were able to get huge clients, small clients that really kind of wanted the best of both worlds. And and we had that market for many, many years. Unfortunately, it's been squeezed, you know, because technology's improved and, you know, access to technology has been easier and people have concentrated on personalized service. But, you know, for quite a long time, we had that market all to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. And and then you just, uh, at that point, you kind of, you had it, you were running it. Yeah. And this is after, were you the CEO from the beginning? Did you do that? Did you have that role for like 17 years? Or, no, or? we didn't. You know, it, it, um, it was funny. So Grant and I started, and so we were two very highly paid people um, that could do nothing for the business other than just kind of get it. We couldn't technically, we couldn't write a ticket. We, you know, we knew nothing. So we kind of were the visionaries and we we brought in three people that could technically do the business. Yeah. And so for the first couple of years, we did everything. You know, the two of us, I mean, we just, we got lunches and we, you know, we ran tickets around and we delivered mail. When and, you say run tickets around, I don't even know what that meant. What is um, it? Well, so that was, you know, kind of 20 years ago, it was just as e-tickets were starting. So we were still writing physical tickets. So, oh, oh, tickets for Yeah, like, for travel. travel. Oh. So, you know, so a client would say, well, you know, I need to travel tomorrow and so I don't have a ticket. And so we would literally, one of the two of us would, you know, run around to their house well, or we would be the person, you know, we would take it in turns to go and sit in a client's office until they wrote us a check because we, you know, we, we, we needed every check, you know, to yeah. be able to pay salaries and pay our rent. Let me ask you something because I, I had somebody a long time ago on this show who, who has clients that she coached, coaches that are, you know, big entrepreneurs and then lawyers. And we were talking about like yeah. the different stages of your life and how sometimes entrepreneurs, when they build this thing and then once it gets up and running and it's huge, yeah. they kind of lose the passion because they're no longer, they're now managing people. Yeah. They're no longer yeah. in the fight. Did you find at that point after coming from the corporate world, were you totally alive and like, yeah, I'm going to go run this ticket across town and and excited about it in a way like you were, did it, did it like almost serve as like a fountain of youth for you in that you were scrapping again? You know. Or did you loathe it? There's two things. And I think the first one is, um, was, and it was such a great lesson um, and a tough one. And it took me a couple of years to get over it was letting go of my ego. So, you know, so I kind of, I was very senior at uh, one of the most senior women at Qantas at the time. And I had a very impressive business card. And, you know, and it opened doors. You know, I didn't need to, you know, just Sue Hollis from Qantas and doors would open and people would talk to me and they were interested at me in parties. Um, And it was a status symbol. And all of a sudden I've let that go. And I'm Sue Hollis from Travel Edge, and they've never heard of that. And and generally people would say Travel Eggs. Yeah. You know, what's Travel Eggs? No, no, Travel Edge. Yeah. And it took me quite a while to let go of that. 
And I can remember it was a great example where I ran into, so we'd been in the business 18 months and 18 months in a business is, is the real, it's the tough point because everything is hard, you know, and you're still struggling and you're not making any money. And as much as you love it, you, you're just not quite sure. And the temptation to step back into the things that you know is really, is really, you know, it's, it's so close. And I ran into a, a friend of mine who had been kind of, she'd, she'd reported to me um, at Qantas and all of a sudden she, had, after I left, she'd leapfrogged and, and, you know, had this amazing title. And I ran into her and she gave me her business card. And I came back and I said to my business partner, Grant, look, I could have been that person. Um, and he took my business card and very quietly lit a match and burnt it. And he said, you can call yourself whatever you want. Okay. It doesn't matter what you call yourself. It's a ma- it's, it matters who you are. Wow. I love that man. That is awesome. What a great business partner. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, he said, call yourself Mahatma Gandhi. I don't care what you call yourself, but listen to your heart. And so, so, you know, going back to your question, number one was letting go of the ego. And number two was continuing to get up every morning and knowing that what we were doing was going to make a difference, you know, and that is the fuel that keeps you going when you've got no money and you've had, you know, you talk about tough times. I mean, we had horrific tough times in our first year where, you know, where I had no idea how we were going to make payroll, you know, and they're the things that, you know, when you know you're making a difference to clients, to people and to your own soul, that that keeps you going. Yeah. I talk about that on this show all the time. I'm like, there are plenty of times I'm like, ah, I, I committed to putting out an episode every week. And there it's are times tough. when you're just like, oh, you know, I have, I'll, I'll go be doing a show and I'm like, yeah. I'm in another city and I, you know, it's like, you're, you're not lining up interviews. And then I, I remember once, I think it was on the year anniversary, I was, you know, usually I'm ahead of myself with, with the interviews and yeah. they're, they're out maybe a couple of months, but I was, I dwindled down to oh, nothing no. and it was the year anniversary. <laughs> so I was oh, no. literally in my car in Santa Monica <laughs> with my laptop and a microphone. And oh. I did this kind of like looking back on a year yes. and I was just like, you know, what, what happened, it's kind of what, what you said. I start to get I, I, at a certain point, I started to get incoming emails and direct messages, which actually is how I met you through yeah. someone who saw me speak somewhere and yeah. then reached out and then, you know, and, and here you are. Um, but what I realized was, oh, people, you know, even in the beginning, even if it's two people, people are in some way, I mean, maybe it's not, I wouldn't say relying on me, but in some way it's I'm true. helping someone. It's true. So, the, you know, this show is helping someone. So instead of me thinking of it, of, of my own needs, it's going, okay, well, I, hey, dude, you got to go help people. So yeah. it's Friday, got to yeah. release something and it gets you out of bed. And it, and it actually has proven to be a really, I didn't, I didn't set out to do this, but it's turned into this great vehicle of accountability for me because yeah. I have now, I look back and I'm like, holy crap, go look at my website. There's over a hundred episodes. Like yeah. that's, that's, yeah. there's a, a whole library that was just because I kind of forced myself into a corner of producing and helping people. And, and so it gets you out of bed. And it does. It's amazing. I mean, and, and, you know, when you talk about helping people, I mean, I, I had an opportunity to, you know, to write a book a little while ago. And, and I remember I have a, an amazing business coach and he said to me, 
if the book, you know, we kind of, I was like, ah, you know, I don't think it's a story. And he said- This is writing raw? Yeah. I want to hear about it. And he said, you know, if it helps one person, would you write it? And I said, of course. He said, it'll help one person write the book. And, you know, and again, it's the same thing. I mean, the accountability for, you know, to have to write it, but knowing that somewhere, somehow there's a message that's gone to someone who it's been meant for. You know, that's that just that's the that's the energy, that's the spark, that's the fire that you need yeah. to kind of keep doing it. And it, it is tough. It's tough to produce yeah. an episode a week. I know it's. Scary. I'm going to have to a- ask you. I don't know if we'll do it now, but maybe later about writing a book because I actually just went back and forth. I met with a publisher oh, actually cool. from the show again. It's a, one of my. Uh, former guest is a seven-time best-selling author, and oh, I had sent him something, just like a little thing, not yeah. expecting yeah, that. Yeah. It was kind of for his daughter or whatever, and he said, "Send this to my publisher." Bing, bang, boom! Wow. I ended up in Hoboken uh, lunch with the publisher, and he's like, "Want to do this thing?" So I just Fantastic. got him the book proposal, and now, wow, now I got to do it. But what I've realized again, everything that I do for this show, yeah. I kind of am writing every. I'm writing every week. I mean, these are when you, you know, sum up the the show and you do yeah. the intro and the outro, like that's what I'm doing. So I've kind of like worked on that muscle, but it'll be new now to go like, okay, you've got a book, do when. Yeah. And that will be something new, you know, but it's, it's fun. Yeah, but again, but it, it's, it's one of those things, isn't it? I mean, if you put the discipline in, you know, and you have to do this. So, you know, so even in your, your intros, you know, you, you're trying to encapsulate all the learning that you got from that, you know, and that's a discipline and that's a muscle that, you know, you keep working it and it's it's going to be tight and it won't be easy. Yeah, um, that's what I've heard. That's the understatement. But, you know, when you get in the flow and when you know, when you're writing from the right place, when you know that you're writing to add value to someone else or to, to get a message that, you know, even if it is just that one person will make a difference to, you know, the flow will happen. So yeah. you'll be fine. Yeah. You'll Thank be fine. You. Thank you. Okay. So let's take it back then because I, I, you're saying so many things that I feel I, I, I'm kind of imagining came from childhood values or parents or coaches mm-hmm. or teachers or what, when, like, what was it like growing up? You, siblings? Um, yeah, I have a younger brother okay. and uh, he's just on 12 months younger than me. So, you know, oh. so we're really close. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I've kind of, you know, writing the book made me think about it, um, you know, about my parenting, about, no, not my parenting, my parenting's <laughs> a whole different world, but, you know, just, you know, what it was like growing up. And and I came from a really supportive family, but no expectation. So um, my parents had both had, you know, quite tough lives growing up. Neither of them went to university. Um, and so the expectation for, you know, for my brother and I was just that, you know, we'd go to school and we'd get our job and we would good be pe- good people and we'd have families and, you know, and, and that was the expectation. You know, I think, I you know, I love my mother to, to death, but, you know, she basically, I think the only guidance she gave me was, you like reading books, maybe you'd be a good librarian. <laughs> Holy shit. I mean, she obviously didn't know me, um, you know, apart from anything else because, you know, my attention to detail is so bad, literally. If I was, you know, if I'd been a librarian 30 years later, you'd still be looking for the bloody books. You would <laughs> never have found them. So, and there was no expectation, you know, for my brother and I to kind of do anything. Yeah. Um 
And I think it's, you know, it's interesting because it, it still kind of shocks them. I think they just, you know, my brother's an incredible, he's Australia's top physiotherapist. Um, really? Top, top sports physiotherapist, yeah. And oh, um, I got another guest from my podcast. Oh, yeah, he's, he's really <laughs> deadly, that one. Um, but it's interesting because, you know, I don't think they ever expected us to be anything. I think when I look back, though, what my dad inadvertently gave me and it was, you know, it, it, it's it's a family folklore story and he does get pretty upset when I tell it, but but there were witnesses um, that, you know, back when I was born 60 years ago, um, it was back in the day where fathers weren't in the nursery or they weren't, you know, they weren't, you know, part of the birth. And he was standing with my godfather and the nurse came out and he said, you know, she said, congratulations, Mr. Hollis, you've got a baby. And he said, oh, great, what is it? And she said, it's a girl. And he went, oh, <laughs> it's like, okay, not the son I was imagining. Yeah. And, you know, we kind of, you know, we laugh about the story now, but, you know, it was told to me from a very early age. And I think what that did for me was that fueled this fire to be a warrior. So, you know, so I am very masculine in, in you know, I'm, I'm more masculine than I am feminine um, in most areas of my life. Huh. Um, even my boys call me mum, dad. <laughs> um, you know, because it's, you know, so I'm the, I was the soccer coach and, you know, I kind of, I do, you know, serious adrenaline stuff and, you know, no one gets in my way and, and I kind of, I just, I hold on to things until I can force my way through them. I'm very masculine or I was very masculine in my values. And so being kind of that warrior was a, a shield that I put on, you know, of, of protection, which is I've got this. No one's going to get in my way. I'm going to force my way through this. I will refuse to be vulnerable. I'm never going to show a weaker side. And um, the combination of warrior and perfectionist were kind of the key drivers of my life. And I, and I guess, you know, kind of that's what led to many of the kind of successes that I've, I've had, yeah. Did you ever get to a point where that shield and that power that you had through that you started to see it and go, oh, this is good, but it only gets me so far. Now I need to bring in vulnerability. I need to bring in femininity. Did, did you ever have that? Or are you kind of like, you're still going, you're like, no, dude, I'm going to kick your ass right now. Well, I mean, do, did you ever have a point where you kind of, uh, you it felt the need for the other side of the sphere? It's one of those things. And I think with life, we get the warning bells and you start to, you start, you know, if you kind of start to believe in your own intuition, you get to hear the questions or you get to hear the noises or you get to hear the alarms. But when you're in that space, I chose, I was in that space, but I chose to ignore it. So, you know, occasionally it would be like, wow, you know what? I don't know that this is working for me, you know, and it became quite manic, you know, so the perfectionist was the key driver. I had to be the perfect mum you know, the perfect athlete, the perfect, you know, the perfect corporate woman, the perfect wife, the perfect adventure, you know, adrenaline junkie. Um, you know, so I wasn't, I wasn't content with just going out for a run. It had to be a marathon. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I wasn't content to, you know, to, you know, if, if with my boys, even though I was working, you know, 15, 16, 17 hours a day, sometimes they had to be perfect as we went out to school, as they went out to school, you know, in terms of, you know, they used to do things at school. They used to, you know, a note would come home saying, 
okay, it's the cake stall tomorrow. Um, you know, please make a cake and packet cake mixes, you know, are not acceptable. Had they known my cooking skills, infinitely better would have been a packet mix. But, you know, kind of two o'clock in the morning, I'd be up trying to make a cake because I had to be the perfect mother. Um, and that continued. It was it was very prevalent, you know, in my corporate life. Um, and I thought when I started my business, it would get easier. I thought I could let some of that go. But I found that it was actually, it, it was worse because when the buck stops, it stops completely with me, you know, and my business partner. Right. So I couldn't let any of those shields down, but eventually it wasn't a choice to let them go. They started, things started falling apart. In, in like, in like personal life or business wise or in what, like in what way? All of the above. Yeah. Um, I think, so what started to happen was, you know, I started to get sick. So, um, and I'd never been sick. Um, I'm a plant-based, you know, I'm, you know, plant-based athlete, you know, so I'm, I'm really kind of conscious of my health and nutrition and, and, you know, physical, physical well-being, but I wasn't paying attention to my emotional well-being or my mental well-being. And so I started to get sick and I, I started with a cough that turned into pneumonia that took me to hospital because I didn't do anything about it. And then, you know, a range of kind of physical ailments got me to the point where I went to see the doc and the doc said, you know what, you are literally falling apart. You know, you are so stressed and you are so strung out um, and I'm going to give you something to calm you down. And I was so insulted and I, I stormed out of his office. I went and sat in his car for 15 minutes thinking, does he not know who I am? I am a warrior. You know, I don't need something to calm me down. And I thought, you know what, he's actually right. I am just... Everything is pushing me to the limit. This need for perfection, this need to not ever ask for help, this need to be the key driver in everyone's life, you know, including my own. And things started to fall apart and it came to a it came to a real crunch. I got up one morning to go for a run and I always kind of go for a run about 4.30, quarter to five in the morning. And I grabbed my running clothes, went into the bathroom to put them on and I looked in the mirror and I just didn't recognize who I was anymore. Um, mind you, at 4.30 in the morning, no one looks good. <laughs> but I kind of looked into my eyes and, and they were just completely vacant. Yeah. And I realized I, I couldn't do this anymore. I just couldn't keep up the pretense of trying to be perfect in all areas of my life. Um, and... I had the the archetypal Hollywood typical kind of bathroom breakdown. Yeah. And and I kind of looked at it, you know, look at it later and I don't know why bathroom breakdowns are always kind of typical, but I guess it's the mood lighting in there. We always look so bad. And I literally sunk to the floor and I was just crying and didn't know where to go and I heard just two words just came through so strongly and it was just quit. And I had no idea what that meant. You know, what does that mean? When you hear those words, just what? Just quit running, just quit my life, just quit being perfect. What did that mean? And I decided not to run. I had a shower and I kind of got myself ready for work and I woke my husband up and I just said, I'm going into work today and I'm quitting. 
Now, bear in mind, we'd not had that conversation. I was the kind of the major breadwinner in the family, so that was a huge, you know, would be a huge impact in the business. He did. It was just like, well, but we had private schools booked for the boys. You know, what does this mean? And um, but I knew I had to quit. I had to quit the life that I was living. I had to make some big changes, and I had to do it right then and there. Or I wouldn't have the courage to go you through with it. it. Yeah. Uh-uh. This is like, you know, I mean, you, I'm assuming, hoping you've seen Jerry Maguire. Absolutely. It's a mission <laughs> statement. But yeah. that's great how they capture yeah. that. that. He does it in the middle of the night. It's so dramatic. He sends it out and then he's like, oh, crap. Yeah. Can you get it back? Because that's what, I mean, that's yeah. what got me acting. I mean, I don't know. I'm sure you haven't listened, but I've, I've talked about it in on this on this show, just like, I was in college. I was playing lacrosse. It was Division One lacrosse. It was kind of, it was a very big deal to me yeah. at the time. Um, had this experience where I had, I think now looking back, I'm like, oh, those were panic attacks. I didn't know it at the time. Yeah. I was just like, what the hell is happening? But it was the way you describe, and it was also that there's a reason that's a typical Hollywood, you know, scene is because it's it's some kind of a truth. It's like an archetypal truth of it what is. happens. My interpretation is you're going on this path. The path used to work for you. The path no longer works for you and probably hasn't for a while. Mm. And you're pushing it off, pushing it off because you're yeah. like, no, this is what I said I was going to do. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. And finally, that inner voice just goes like, no, you're not. And it'll be in the form of of a, an illness. It'll be in the form of an accident. It'll be in the form of something that you think is just some so coincidence. True. Yeah. I don't think it is. It's like the, the no. universe will pull you back and go, Psh, wake up. And yeah. some people hear that call and some people don't. And it sounds like yeah. you heard it. Well, how old were you at that time? Um, well, it was about four years ago. So, you know, 55, oh, wow. 56. Oh, this is recent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely oh, recent. Oh, this is what sparked the, oh, okay. Yeah. Man, so, I, didn't, I didn't, okay. But, you, but you know, you've you've absolutely nailed it. And, and the thing is that, you know, you... I had achieved everything that looked like external success. So to the to you know really to the outside person so I had the great career, the beautiful house, the gorgeous boys, you know, fabulous marriage, all the toys, you know, life of adrenaline. You know, when you kind of look at what success is supposed to be and what we're taught success is, I'd nailed it literally. Yeah. Um and still was waking up going, really is this it? is this what I'm on this earth to do? Because I've ticked all those boxes and I ain't feeling any better. You know, I can buy a new pair of shoes and it doesn't matter. I can buy a new motorbike. And that used to keep me happy for a little while. Right. Um, But there was still an emptiness. And like you, I chose to ignore the questions because I knew. And the the big question for me was, but are you happy? And I chose to ignore that question because I knew the answer would be no. And if the answer is no, then you have to do something about it. And I didn't want to do anything about it. So I, that question would come up and I would keep myself busy because I, I just didn't want to have the space or the time to have to address it. So I became manic in my business, whether that was, I, you know, my husband used to say to me, stop cleaning the house. And it's just like, well, I I will, I'll just fix this. Because if I kept busy, if I kept myself in perpetual motion. You wouldn't have to face yourself. I wouldn't have to answer it. I wouldn't have to look into my soul. Um, And so the universe gave me about three warnings and in the end went, okay, girl, you are going to be slapped down and slapped down hard. And now you have to face it. Now you have to deal with it. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, that is, you have just, as you're talking, I'm like, God, this is a commercial for this show. Cause that's what I do. I sit down with people like yourself yeah. who a lot of other people look at and go, man, if I could just have that. And my theory has always been, yeah, but walk with that person Absolutely. for a while. They've got some shit. Yeah. I don't know what it is, yeah. but they're human. They've got some shit. And like, that was your shit at the time. And, but, but even that, the, you know, the thing that was, that was really almost broke you sounds like it was the springboard into where you are now, which sounds way more amazing. Cause it's it, like, you know, you showed up today, you just came from, I think a motorcycle ride, you're like yeah. traveling the world. You've got a, a new business. It's, it's in alignment with you and you're still doing well. And I have no idea the financials of it. Maybe it's not quite as well as it was. Maybe it's better. It doesn't matter. It sounds like you're happier and you're more whole. And I think like, that's the point. I mean, we're all going to die. Like, do you want, do you want to, <laughs> you know, do you want like people at your funeral going like, oh, she had the coolest motorcycles. Like, no, who gives a shit? Yeah. You know, like, oh, she was really happy. She helped a ton of people. She was like, you know, had a, a great time with her family, like. That's cool. You know? you know, it's interesting because I think what happens where you get to that point is when you let go of control. Yeah. So for me, my life was completely under control, you know, because if I acted perfect, I looked perfect, I worked perfect, then I had control. I had control of what people thought of me and I had control of my life in theory. So the joy in my life was that breaking point and going, Jesus, I got nowhere. I've got no idea where we go from here. I just know I can't do this anymore. So I choose to surrender. And surrender is a really interesting word because surrender the the old warrior in me and, and the warrior is still there. The warrior though is not it's not my default position. It's it's a it's, it's a choice. I, Absolutely. Yeah. I choose when the worry needs to come out. And let me tell you, it can. <laughs> don't, you know, don't make the mistake that the worry is not there, but it is a choice. It's not my default. Yeah. So the old worry used to view surrender as being something weak, you know, and I used to see surrender as giving in it. And it isn't to me. I've come to, come to understand that surrender is, is to go with the flow. It's to, and to be open to opportunities. So when all of this happened, I could not have envisaged where my life is now. All I knew was that I had to make a change. I had to do something very different. I couldn't keep living the lie, let alone the life that I had been living. So I chose to let it go. And then I chose to kind of go, okay, so I'm letting go of control. I'm still going to keep moving forward. I'm not just going to sit on the couch and wait for life to hit me. I'm going to make some plans and I'm going to keep moving forward and I'm going to put it out to the universe, kind of how I want to feel and then how I want to be will start to be created from that. And that's literally what's happened over the last kind of four years. Yeah. And it's so important for everybody that listens to this show to hear that because everybody, you know, that's my, my thing. I think people are all grasping for certainty and I think a lot of them from the way I see it are actually chasing the wrong things to get that certainty yeah. because the certainty is that there's uncertainty. Absolutely. So if you try to fool yourself into thinking like, well, I've got this money squared away. I've got this thing that I got, I got the people, but you know, you got everything in line. It's like, yeah, life is a lot more, uh, 
chaotic and a lot more kind of ebb and flow and yeah. out of your control than you realize. And if you're failing to acknowledge that, I think at some point you're in for some kind of knockdown. Yeah, you are. I, I, I think. And, um, and I, I just, I love the, you know, to hear it from someone like yourself who is such a warrior to say like, I surrendered and that yeah. actually is what was the best thing that ever happened to me. Absolutely. Makes, you know, you talked about before about like sitting down and doing this and someone needs to hear this message. There's someone out there listening or now that we have the, the camera. Oh my God. I don't think the camera looks like it's even, is it going? Hopefully. Uh, <laughs> hopefully this is on video. We will see. I don't know. Um, but, but uh, that there, there's somebody that's supposed to hear this. And this is going to hit someone who's who's in that exact same position as you and go, oh, it's okay yeah. to give up what I'm doing because there's something that I can't see yet that's actually better for me than this. And look, it takes courage to do that. You know, that's not... You know, it's not something that's easily done and, you know, heaven knows. I mean, I I procrastinated and stalled doing it for a long time. But I've also kind of worked on, I've kind of learnt, again, the hard way, but I've kind of learnt that um, when you are open to opportunity and when you kind of see things as opportunities, um, life just unfolds in an incredible way. And if you are too prescriptive in terms of what you want your life to be and, and the steps that you need to take to get that, you actually, there are so many things that, so many things that have happened to me personally that I could never have envisaged. You know, my small brain isn't wide enough to have gone, whoa, how could that have happened? Or I never saw that opportunity. And if, you know, and I have lived a pretty prescriptive life and it's been successful, but it didn't make me feel whole. But when I kind of open up and say, okay, well, bring it on, say yes, you know, whatever comes my way, I'm going to say yes to, um, you know, and, and take the learning and take the opportunity. And I may be going left and then I may be going right, but things come my way that I could never have envisaged because, you know, frankly, the universe has got a much better handle on what's, you know, what's amazing for me than, you know, than anything I could ever envisage. That's so, that's beautiful. Um, I, I, uh, I feel like we're going to, we're going to end this interview and I'm going to talk to you for a long time too, but I want to, I want to, I know you have a plane to catch and, um, I, I want to allow that. First of all, I just want to say thank you for, for sitting down oh, with me. I, somebody, many people in my opinion are going to hear this and it's going to, it's going to rock them in a way that's great for them. So thank you on their behalf. And then, um, you kind of, you know, it's funny, I have all these questions <laughs> and, and then I just sit here, I throw them out and we talk, but you've kind of, you've, you've really answered many of them and there's so much more. And I'm going to put things in the show notes for people to go do a deep dive on you because I think they'll want to, and, and they're going to see all of the accolades. And if there's anything else you want to talk about before we stop, but I just want to ask you, uh, I usually ask people that the word no means what? I almost feel like you've already answered that with your dad's thing where you said yeah. it's a challenge. Yeah. It's like, yeah, bring it on. Um, but then the other thing is, do you have a go-to mantra when the shit hits the fan? Well, I just want to take you back to no. Because, you know, there are, there are two sides to that question for me now. There never used to be. So I think, you know, kind of the worry in me was was very much, you know, no, okay, get out of my way. Um, but it also depends on 
who's saying no. So, you know, if someone else tells me that, then, you know, then I become the warrior, get out of my way. But when I say no, it's become very, very different because one of the things that I never did, um, I have always kind of been a chronic people pleaser. So I've always said yes. So can you help me do? Yes. Can you think? Yes. Just, no, just, I'll do it. Just give it to me. Give it to me. Leave it for me. Yes, yes, yes. So the word no has actually taken on a very different connotation to me in, in kind of in most recent years. And when I say no, it's because I'm celebrating not saying yes. And there's a real fine line with that because I've, you know, for me, it's about the celebration of pausing, not rushing in and saying yes, because I want to please people, or I want to be liked, or I want to be helpful, or I don't want to seem ungrateful. So I have learned now to say no, um, unless it's something that's really in my soul. So that's been a really tough lesson. So if other people tell me no, I'm a warrior. When I say no, it's a celebration now. Um, I love that. But in terms of my mantra, um, yeah, I think it's it's. I have a bunch. I have a bunch that really kind of drive me. And as I've kind of softened the warrior, um, it's about celebrating connectivity, you know, and it's about realizing in this world that we are all connected. Um, and the joy that I get from that connection is the joy that fuels me. And that joy comes from whether it's a, an interaction I have with someone at a coffee shop, whether it's someone that's making my coffee, whether it's someone that's checking me into a hotel, um, the connectivity that, that I have from other people um, is what really reminds me. That's what we're all here to do. You know, we're here to grow and to learn and to connect and to love. Um, and when I go back to those four those four messages, you know, when my day is crazy and shit's hitting the fan and I'm not the person that I want to be and those days are very, very regular, um, I just go back to those four things. You know, we're here to grow, we're here to learn, we're here to love, we're here to connect. You know, if I can do even one of those four things every day, then then that's my mantra for a good life. Wow, that's that's awesome. All right, so one last question. I love that. And, and I'm just, I just want to pause on that because as you're talking, I'm thinking, yeah, that's what the podcast is. It's an excuse to connect. And that's been so amazing. Yeah. On the other hand, I'm thinking of myself the other day, I was going to a meeting. I had to get uh, actually that flip chart yeah. and I had to get it before the meeting. And I was kind of, you know, running into the store, coming out and there was someone in front of me and I was like, oh. yeah. and I, and I just, I observed myself going like, yeah. and I, I remember saying to myself, like, don't be the a-hole who's going to like <laughs> give the person at the register a hard time. It's yeah. not their fault. Yeah. She's servicing that person. Yeah. I'm like, dude, you should have, you should have left 10 minutes earlier. You wouldn't be in this. So, and I think sometimes I still need to learn that lesson in the moment of the little stuff. How much am I going? Exactly. Oh, I can connect with this person. Yeah. When it doesn't seem to be, you know, this is an obvious reason to connect. I've got a show. It's like, you yeah. know, it's a high priority for me. But how am I, when it's not a high priority, 
how do I, yeah. you know, and I'd like to think that I'm not an asshole to people for the <laughs> most part, but, but, you know, how, you know, how do I do that? Really be conscious of, of every interaction going like, Hey, just be present for a second. And you use the word conscious because it's a conscious decision. And, and I spent three months on my motorbike kind of riding around the U S and every morning by myself and every morning I would get up and I would say, okay, my intention today is to see the light in the eyes of everybody I meet, whether that's at a gas station, at a coffee shop. And when you make that conscious connection, and it is because you you, you can go through your whole day by having your head down, looking at your iPhone, but when you consciously see the light in the eyes of whoever is in front of you, it's the greatest gift that you can give them. And it's also the greatest gift you can give yourself because it, it, they come back. Yeah. You know, and they actually give more than you, you know, than yeah, you do. Totally. Totally. And that's, yeah. that's Riding Raw, by the way, which is your book, yeah. right? Okay. Yeah. So I want to give that, that's, I, I want to go get it now just after talking <laughs> to you. I'll put links to that in the show notes as well. And then the last thing, if you could give your younger self advice, what age would you intervene and what would the advice be? My younger self was a long way back. Um, I would, yeah, probably kind of my my late 20s when I was really stepping into corporate heaviness. Um, and the advice I would give myself was, you are not your business card right? Your business card is your title. It says what you do. It doesn't say who you are. It is not your value to the world, right? It is just a role that you play. It doesn't say who you are. It doesn't say what your values are. It doesn't say the person that you are trying to be, right? It is just a business card. I almost don't even want to speak to end this thing because that was so good. <laughs> that is, I I love that. I love it. Thank you. And and thank you, Sue Hollis. Thank you for sitting down with me. Thanks for sharing all this. Thanks for being so honest and just so cool. Thank you, Matt. It's been a real pleasure and an honor. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Okay. I should seriously consider doing top 10 takeaways, but I've got a life. So here you go. Top three. Number one, you are not your business card. Don't need to expand on this too much because Sue put it so eloquently and her entire life and the way she handles herself exemplifies it. You are not your business card. Number two, you have certain defaults that help you get to where you need to go. But at a certain point, you need to realize those are only choices, not the inevitable truth of who you are. So be open to the fact that at some point, as Sue did, you may need to pivot. And that will require you putting your ego in its proper place and possibly taking a few steps back temporarily in order to take real steps forward. Number three, when Sue heard that voice that said, just quit, she said something really important that I don't want you to miss. She said that she had to go in and do it immediately or she'd never do it. And that's scary. But I think she's right. Whenever I've made drastic decisions that I look back on later and said, thank God I did that, they were those kinds of things that had I mulled them over too long, the logical naysaying side of my brain would have talked me out of them. She reminded me of Susie Batiste with this. When Susie, there's a link to her episode in the show notes, had the idea for Poopourri, which is now a $500 million company, she said it was like a zing of lightning. 
and everyone around her thought she was crazy, and it seemed that way for even a few years. But ultimately, she was right. Trust that intuition and make moves. Don't sit and logic everything away. Be bold. Damn it, I'm giving it a fourth. Connectivity, having intention and making a conscious decision to connect with others, including strangers that you don't have anything apparent to gain from. Just the joy of connecting with another human being. That's number four. I did it. Okay, that is all. So much gratitude for Sue Hollis for coming to my place and sitting down with me. I feel like I have a new friend. And thanks to you for listening. If you feel like a friend could benefit from Sue's message or this show in general, please share it with your friends or on social media. If you can take a few minutes to leave an iTunes review, we love it. And subscribe to 10,000 Knows wherever you listen, and you won't miss any episodes when they come out every Friday. If you want to learn more about Sue, go check out the links in the show notes. If you like today's conversation with Sue, check out the links in the show notes for these past conversations. World-class climber and best-selling author, Allison Levine. Susie Batiste, who I just mentioned, the CEO and founder of Poopuri, which is valued at over $500 million. Happier Now founder, Natalie Kogan, Melissa and Doug Toy Company CEO, Melissa Bernstein, or Heidi Dean, whom I mentioned saying she's followed the green lights all the way to being founder and CEO of Marketing for Actors. Basically, a gaggle of strong, dynamic women like Sue. You can also just scroll through 10,000knows.com to see which other episodes might speak to you. Join us every Friday for these conversations and the intermittent shorter solo riffs on the themes of this show. Resilience, reframing, perseverance, winning mindset. Basically, how to overcome 10,000 knows in whatever form they come to you. For announcements and promo videos of who's next, you can follow me on social media. Those handles are at Maddie Dell on Instagram, at Matthew Del Negro on Twitter and Facebook. And you can email us at info at 10,000nose.com if you want to be added to our mailing list or with questions, feedback, or guest suggestions. Thanks again for listening. Hope you tune in again next week with Showtime's City on a Hill creator, Chuck McLean. Chuck McLean.